Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everyone, I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you value this podcast as a free and independent educational resource, you can support the show by making a monthly donation at patreon.com slash wordsforgranted. You can also make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash wordsforgranted. I'd like to thank Danielle, Amelia, Anton, and Janica for their recent contributions. And with that, let's get on to today's episode, part five in a series on the etymology of food words. This time, we'll be looking at the etymologies of the words for our three main meals of the day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But before we look at these meal words individually, I'd like us first to consider the word meal, because its history is fascinating unto itself. The dictionary defines meal as any of the regular occasions in a day when a reasonably large amount of food is eaten, such as breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Meal can also refer to the actual food eaten during breakfast, lunch, or dinner. This relationship between a meal and a regular time of day is at the heart of the word's etymology. While I myself tend to think of a meal more as the actual food eaten during meal time, meal was originally more of a time word. You could even call it a math word. If we trace meal all the way back to Proto-Indo-European, the earliest Indo-European language first spoken about 5,000 years ago on the Eurasian steppe, then meal derives from the reconstructed root word m, meaning to measure. This root word is reconstructed because Proto-Indo-European was spoken before the invention of writing systems, so linguists have to extrapolate based on observable linguistic trends found in the extant Indo-European languages in order to reconstruct the vocabulary of this lost mother tongue. Anyway, the Proto-Indo-European word m has produced many derivatives across its daughter languages, including many measurement words in modern English, such as measure, meter, metric, dimension, parameter, perimeter, geometry, symmetry, and metronome, among many others. This family of genetically related words makes the cognate word meal seem like the odd one out. As it turns out, there's actually a good reason why meal is the anomaly. The measurement words I just mentioned, like meter, metric, etc., mostly derive ultimately from Greek. This bulk of Greek words passed into Latin, from Latin they passed into French, and from French, these words passed into Middle English after the Norman-French invasion of England in 1066. Some of these measurement words were also borrowed into early modern English directly from Latin and Greek. Meal, on the other hand, is an Old English word, an Anglo-Saxon word. 
The word meal predates the Norman French invasion, and therefore it also predates the emergence of this aforementioned family of measurement cognates in English. Old English was a purely Germanic language, which means that meal comes from a different language family altogether and has a unique linguistic history that's distinct from its other Greek and Latin-derived cognates. In Old English, meal, or mile, originally meant measurement, and as we're about to see, it was a widely used and highly versatile word. Mile was used to measure things like time, distance, seasons, and recurring occasions, like meals. Thanks to an Old English figure of speech called a kenning, which is a kind of poetic compound word with a metaphorical meaning, mile frequently appears as a compound-forming element in the Old English corpus. In my approximation of Old English pronunciation, here are a few examples. Mile kiaru, literally time care, meant the worries or troubles of the day and age. Mildaig, literally time day, meant an appointed time of the day. Mildgeschaft, literally time destiny, meant fate. Jahrmeilum was a word that meant year by year, and Stückemeilum meant bit by bit. While the Old English word Stückemeilum has long since died out, we do have a similarly constructed word in modern English. That is, piecemeal. The meal in piecemeal is indeed the same meal that we've been discussing, the same meal as in the meals we eat. But piecemeal is actually not a kenning that's survived from Old English. Piecemeal is a Middle English expression that emerged during the 1300s. At that time, Meal was still in use as a general time word, so the phrase would have been literally understood as one piece at a time. But since the word meal is no longer used to measure time, this literal sense is lost on us today. The less common compound, inch meal, which dates back to roughly the same time period, follows a similar semantic logic. In spite of the richness of its historical usages, the only sense of meal that has survived today aside from piecemeal, is the meal associated with food. The reason that meals' more measurement-oriented senses died out is due to Latin's role as the language of education in Western Europe. Measuring things with precise and specialized vocabulary falls under the domain of mathematics, which is something that would largely have been taught in Latin. Again, many of these measurement words were originally Greek, but they were borrowed into Latin and Latinized over time. Now that you know the word meal's early history as a measurement term, it may not surprise you to learn that meal, as in the edible part of ground grain, like cornmeal, is not etymologically related to the meal that refers to breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's a bit coincidental, since you could eat meal as a meal. This sense of meal pertaining to ground grain derives from the Old English word melu, meaning to grind. Now that we've discussed the etymology of meal, let's turn to the three meals themselves. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But we're not going to look at them in that order. Let's start with dinner. Dinner was borrowed into English during the 14th century from French. The French word disner ultimately comes from the vulgar Latin word desunare, which comprises the prefix dis, meaning opposite, and the verb unare, meaning to fast. The opposite of fasting is eating, 
or you might say, disfasting, or breaking your fast. In other words, break fast. Yes, so this means that etymologically, dinner and breakfast actually mean the same exact thing. But given the modern sense of dinner, this doesn't seem like a totally logical etymology, since dinner doesn't actually break the previous night's fast. Presumably, before one eats dinner, the third and main meal of the day, one has already eaten a previous meal. Well, dinner wasn't always the third meal of the day. But it does have a long history of being the main meal of the day. Over the last several centuries, the time of day at which people eat their main meal has gradually shifted, and with it, so has the meaning of dinner. In Western Europe during the medieval period, whether you were a peasant or a nobleman, you would have eaten the main meal of the day, called dinner, during the time frame now occupied by lunch. Based on dinner's etymology, which again ultimately goes back to vulgar Latin, we can assume that the word originally referred to a meal eaten even earlier in the day, probably during the time frame now occupied by breakfast. Eating the main meal of the day at around noon would not have felt as early to our ancestors as it does to us today, and that's because people used to wake up much earlier than we do now. By the crack of dawn, the average peasant was out of bed and off to work. And why was that? Simple. They didn't have light bulbs. So after sundown, it got really dark, both inside and outside, and you can't do very much of anything when you can't see what's right in front of your face. So thank you, Mr. Edison. Of course, there were candles and oil lamps, but they were expensive and reserved for special occasions. Even the aristocracy, who perhaps could have afforded to burn candles and lamps more regularly, lived by this earlier-to-rise, earlier-to-sleep schedule because it kept the rhythm of their days aligned with their non-aristocratic countrymen. All of this is to say that by the early afternoon, the average person would have been awake and active for around eight hours, which is a perfectly reasonable amount of time to pass between waking up and eating the main meal of the day. The gradual trend of having dinner later in the day began in the 1700s. It moved from 12 or 1 p.m. to 2 or 3 p.m. The invention of the light bulb in the 1870s, coupled with new work habits that evolved out of the Industrial Revolution, pushed dinner even later to 5 o'clock. During the 20th century, dinner got pushed later yet again as commuting became a more common part of workers' daily routine. Before dinner was borrowed into English from French, the Old English word for the main meal of the day was midaikthainug. Midaikthainug literally meant midday service, implying a service of food in the middle of the day, which makes sense given the fact that Old English was spoken even earlier than Middle English. No light bulbs, no long commutes to work, etc. With dinner happening at lunchtime during the medieval period, did this mean that our forebears only ate twice a day? Not necessarily. If you could afford it, you'd probably eat another meal during the evening known as supper, a word that derives from the French sauper and is cognate with soup. Even though in modern standard English the three main meals of the day are breakfast, lunch, and dinner, in that order, the word supper technically still exists, and its meaning varies depending on who you talk to. In its traditional sense, supper was a light evening meal, 
often consisting of leftovers from the early afternoon dinner. The biblical term, the Last Supper, for Jesus' last meal with his disciples, dates back to the 14th century, and it reflects this sense of a light evening meal. The Last Supper is distinctly not a buffet, but a sharing of some bread and wine. As the culturally standard time to have dinner shifted to later in the day, beginning in the 1700s, the meaning of supper began to fracture. Today, for some British working and middle-class families, supper is used to refer to the informal dinners eaten daily among one's family, while dinner is used to refer to a meal held at a more formal gathering. This sense of dinner as something distinctly formal still exists today when we refer to Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners that don't necessarily happen at dinner time. For other British English speakers, supper is merely a late dinner. In America, supper and dinner are basically synonymous. This was particularly true in the early 20th century, though the usage of the word supper has been experiencing a rapid decline in recent decades. Without any data to back this up, my gut tells me that most Americans under the age of 50 don't really use the word at all. This very well may be true of most English speakers around the globe. Strangely, to me, my mother, who is an Italian-American woman in her mid-60s born and raised in New Jersey, uses supper to mean dinner pretty often. According to my research for this episode, in certain regional dialects throughout America, Canada, and Britain, the word dinner still can refer to a midday meal. Now, if you happen to use these words dinner and supper in non-standard ways or have anecdotes about people who do, shoot me an email at wordsforgranted at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter and let me know, because I'd love to hear your insights and possibly share them on the next episode. So, now that we know that dinner is an anglicization of a Latinate word that literally meant breakfast, you might be wondering where the word breakfast came from. The elements of breakfast, break and fast, are Germanic, suggesting that it's a calque, or a loan translation, of the French disner, which again ultimately comes from the Latin desunari. Breakfast is first recorded in the written record during the mid-1400s, a century after the emergence of the word dinner. In Old English, breakfast could be called by several words, morgenmeta, undernmeta, and daigmeta, all of which meant morning food or day food. As we all know, there's a discrepancy between the pronunciation of the verb break and the brek in breakfast. Have you ever wondered why? This is a byproduct of the Great Vowel Shift. In short, the Great Vowel Shift was a series of sound changes that took place between roughly 1400 and 1700 that affected the pronunciation of the English long vowels. Now is not the time to get into the technical aspects of why, but there are a handful of words from Old English that have survived into Modern English where the vowel is long, but when that word with a long vowel is part of a compound, the vowel is short. For example, Christ and Christmas, holy and holiday, wild and wilderness, and of course, break and breakfast. There are others too, but I think you get the idea. Neither the long nor short vowels in these words are identical to their original Old English pronunciations, though the short vowels are slightly more conservative. For a very detailed overview of the Great Vowel Shift in podcast form, 
I suggest checking out the most recent episodes of Kevin Stroud's Great History of English podcast. So this brings us lastly to lunch. Since dinner began to shift from a midday meal to an evening meal beginning in the 1700s, it makes sense that lunch, the new midday meal, is also a relatively new word. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the earliest attested usage of lunch as a mealtime word dates to the 1780s, and it wasn't until the mid to late 1800s that the word became widespread in the sense used today. Technically, lunch is a shortening of the word luncheon, the latter of which first appears in the written record in the late 1500s. The etymology of lunch isn't well documented, and that's probably because it started off as a slang word. One common theory derives lunch from lump, while another derives it from the Spanish luña, meaning slice. The semantic logic behind these etymologies isn't clear until you learn that the earliest sense of luncheon actually referred to a lump of cheese or bread, not a main meal per se. The jump from lump or loña to the form luncheon was probably influenced by the Middle English word nunchen. Nunchen derives from the Middle English words nun, meaning noon, and shench, meaning cup, and it referred to a light midday snack or refreshment, typically comprising cheese, bread, and beer. Note that these words come from a purely Germanic lineage. In certain British dialects, nunchen has remained in use to this day, though the word is largely unknown to much of the English-speaking world. I myself had never heard of it before researching this episode. The earliest attested usage of luncheon as a meal word dates back to the mid-1600s. Interestingly, from the 16th through 19th centuries, luncheon was considered a feminine meal. It was prepared by women for women while their husbands were out at work. Often, it comprised leftovers from the previous day's dinner, just as supper did. As I've already mentioned, changes in technology during the 19th century disrupted traditional mealtimes and forced new work schedules to develop, so many industrial employers would send their workers home to have a light midday meal, aka lunch, with their wives. As working men began taking job opportunities farther and farther from their homes, it resulted in the necessity of workers to bring portable lunches to work. It also resulted in a boom of chop houses and diners nearby industrial facilities to feed the working class during their lunch breaks. All right, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Again, one more reminder that if you're a regular listener and want to support this podcast, you can make a monthly contribution at patreon.com slash wordsforgranted. You can also make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash wordsforgranted. I also encourage you to leave a rating and review on whatever podcast player you use because those really help the show grow and they give me feedback about what I can do to make the show better. I'm on Twitter at at wordsforgranted and Facebook as wordsforgranted. And you can email me directly with questions, comments, and concerns at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Okay, thanks everyone. I'll see you next time here at Words for Granted.
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.